0: Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson. In this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, bestselling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Preston Lee, the founder of Milo.co. That's spelled mill Co. a blog community and phenomenal resource hub for all things freelancing. Preston and I also co-host, along with Ian Paget, another podcast together called The Side Gig Show, where we take turns diving deep to the tactics, strategies, ups, downs, and decisions we've made that have helped us grow our own side businesses into full-time endeavors over the past couple of years. And we actually just released season two of The Side Gig Show, which you can check out and subscribe to at sidegigshow.com. But for now, back to Preston. He's got a very unique side hustle journey, and he actually only recently left his day job to focus on growing Milo full time, despite earning more from his side business than he was getting paid at work. Preston has been blogging for almost eight years now, and he's gotten up to the point of driving about 150,000 readers per month to his blog, and he earns an average of 8,000 to 15,000 per month from blog sponsorships. What's even more impressive about Preston is that up until recently when he jumped over to working on Milo full-time, he was running his side business in just about an hour a day. He hired a team of contractors and outsourced everything he didn't personally need to do himself, and because of that decision, it enabled him to focus more on bringing in sponsorship dollars. And lately, Preston's been doing a lot more testing, experimenting, and launching of new side projects, which we're getting into here shortly. In this episode, Preston and I are talking about how he got his first blog sponsorships and the process he's since used to bring on board five-figure sponsorship deals on the side every month. We dive into Preston's personal experience quickly building new processes and outsourcing the work to contractors, thus freeing up more of his time to get out of the weeds and grow his business. We're hearing about his content marketing strategies that have built a massive brand and community, his advice to people who want to start blogging today, the benefits he's experienced by continually launching side projects, and much, much more. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Preston Lee. Preston, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. All right. So, warm-up question for you. What book are you reading right now, or what's been your favorite recently?
1: Ah, I knew that question was coming. So, <laughs> um, I actually recently started just a couple days ago. Um, it's called Zero to One uh, by Peter Thiel. And Peter Thiel mm-hmm. co-founded like PayPal and was one of the initial investors in you know facebook and spacex and a lot of big companies um but he talks about the difference between like iterating on something that already exists and completely inventing something new i'm only maybe 20 pages in or 30 pages in but it's pretty good so far
0: he's a fascinating guy isn't he
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah yeah that that book is one of my favorites it's one that i try and reread every couple of years just because you know Someone that I don't necessarily personally identify with um, being like, but he has this mindset that is so incredible. For anyone who wants to start a business, I um, highly recommend checking out the book, Zero to One.
1: Yeah, Zero to One. And you know I think you and I think about business quite similarly. I don't know if either of us are necessarily interested in starting the next PayPal or the next SpaceX or the next Facebook, but, um, but definitely regardless of the kind of business you're interested in starting, um, it, it just his way of thinking about not only business, but like culture and the world around him and technology. And it's really, really cool so far. So, yeah, definitely yeah. recommend
0: it. Love it. All right. Well, Preston, we're here to talk about you. And, you know, one thing that I think makes your story particularly unique, in my opinion, compared to, you know, what many of our listeners here today are used to hearing and how they think about their own side hustle is that up until very recently, you were actually still working a full-time job despite having a side income that was actually greater than what your job was paying you. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, for people listening here today, can you talk through, you know, your reasoning behind not diving into your own business full-time earlier? Oh boy.
1: Uh, yeah. So, so for those not familiar with my story, here's a, here's a quick 22nd version. I started a blog when I was in college called graphicdesignblender.com And, um, eventually, you know, we started writing content for, for designers and then eventually freelancers of all kinds. We pivoted to be millow. Uh, in 2015. And, um, and it it was around 2013, 14, 15, that really the revenue started to pick up um, on the site. And really, I turned it from a hobby and and sort of an experiment to a business and started tracking business metrics. And it sounds kind of ridiculous, because, you know, that was three or four years in, but like, up to that point, it was just kind of an experiment. And I was just learning about content and about audience about the web and how people interact and all that sort of thing, and I was taking my sweet time um, because I had a day job and a mortgage, and I had a kid, and we've had we've since then had two more kids, so we're a family of five now. And um, and earlier this year, it's 2017 uh, recording now. Earlier this year, I took a job at a tech startup that that paid me mm-hmm. significantly better. Than the job that I had before. And so I, but I, but I felt like ever since I took that job, I felt like I, I sort of was handcuffing myself, the golden handcuffs, if you've heard that analogy of like <laughs> taking, taking the paycheck instead of sort of following your, your true ambitions or your dreams. And, um, and I just dreaded that, that I had done that this year. And then, you know, it's easy to say, luckily now, you know, in September, they laid off a bunch of people from the startup. They ran out of um, financial runway. They lost a couple of big clients. And this is a roundabout way to answer your question, Ryan. But um, when I came home that night, which I can tell you more about this later, but uh, when I came home that night and talked to my wife about it, I said, I think we should just do this business thing. You know, I've been doing it for a few years. The money is good. And, um, and she said, let's do it. We probably never would have done it without this push you know, without something like pushing us off the ledge, like we. So my reasoning to answer your question, Ryan, is I'm I'm a family guy. You know, I I it's it's it would have been a lot easier when I was 21 to like say, hey, you know, what's the what's the big risk? Like, let's just give it a shot. But when you have mm. three kids, a wife, a mortgage, all all the different things depending on you, you know, my wife stays home with our kids, so it's all it's all on me. And um, that was my reasoning is like, yeah, the the side business is making decent money, but even dropping from side business income and day job income to just side business income is sort of like going from two incomes to one
0: no, I love this. I think your reasoning is great, and it it runs counter to the narrative that you know you read about in a lot of the the best selling books on the topic of side hustles and you know what everyone wants to talk about is the more sexy stories of where like <laughs> you know I, I grew my side hustle to 10 k a month, quit my job, and my life is amazing now but I think this is a really good example because it, it all sort of aligns to your priorities, right? Like, what's, what's important to you? And because family is so important to you, this, you know, up until recently has been a decision that, you know, you very consciously made.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, like, if I'm being 100% honest and vulnerable and transparent, it was fear. Like, I was afraid. Yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, like, it's easy to picture this amazing world where you just like do whatever you want and work whenever you want. But, but at the end of the day, you know, there are bills to pay and, and um, I think it's a very real and almost harsh truth and reality that people face. You know, I I talk with a lot of people in our community who are sort of in the same boat. They want to leave their job or they want something more, but there's this very real fear and, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. A lot of times that fear can protect you. But you have to like balance, you know, at what point do you say, okay, the fear is holding me back instead of protecting me from doing something stupid.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And you know that just to touch on real quick, that fear component, how to deal with your own fear and, and how to, you know, take some steps to push yourself outside of your comfort zone and, and test your way into a business is something that we talk a lot about on the podcast that you and I co-host with um, Ian. Paget also. It's called Side Gig Show. So um, anyone who wants to hear more about this topic in particular, um, we'll include links in the show notes as well. So Preston, anyway, I want to take a few steps back now. So when you first got started with your blog, do you remember how long it took you to earn your first dollar from it?
1: <laughs> oh man, I am. Um, okay. I don't know if I remember. So we were talking about this off the air a little bit, how um, podcasting is sort of what blogging felt like maybe a decade ago or more. Mm-hmm. I, I started graphicdesignblender.com in two thousand and nine, which wasn't like, you know, the early, early days of blogging, but it was still fairly early. It was definitely early for making like a full time living from blogging. Mm-hmm. Uh and and so I think early on, like you know, like I listened to your show maybe last episode or a few episodes ago. I listened to the folks from Chasing Foxes how they how they started a blog and like three months later they were making like twenty grand a month or something <laughs> and they like quit their job and I was like, man, that's insane. That is incredible. And my journey definitely wasn't like that. I think. Um, I remember when I started, I said to some family, I said, like, hey, did you know you can just write things on the internet and people will, like, pay you, pay to advertise next to the things that you write? (laughs) And they were like, yeah, sure. (laughs) I don't know if that's really going to happen. And they were right. Like, my plan was to get advertising dollars up front, which is not the best plan for a new blogger necessarily. Um, I'd say probably a year, a year and a half, I made my first few dollars from advertising revenue.
0: And was that at the time that was like display ads or, you know, things that that you were arranging yourself individually?
1: No, it was display ads through, um, through buy, sell ads, which was a really common one at the time. Um, yeah, people, it's a marketplace. So people interested in reaching designers, for example, which is who we were talking to at the time, primarily, um, they'll go on, they'll search, you know, design blogs, they'll find mine and a handful of others and, um, and buy display ads and then, you know, it just populates it on my side automatically and, and, uh, you're off to the races. So, but I was making very, very little, I mean, you're talking less than a hundred dollars a month for, for a long time.
0: (laughs) And so something that, that I really look to you for a lot of inspiration and advice on is, you know, you've gotten very, very good at arranging sponsored posts and, you know, sponsored content with really cool brands, you know, talking about, companies like you know fresh books to name one um, i 've seen a lot of different promotions come out on your blog through your newsletter um, and you know do you remember the first time that you booked something that was like you know a custom job like this so selling whether it was a blog post um, podcast ad or you know sponsored email blast
1: you know I have to give a lot of credit to my friend, uh, Tom Ross, he's at designcuts.com, which is a great community for designers. Um, and he, he reached out, uh, my blog still wasn't making that much money, probably 5,000 a year or something like really, really small amount of money. Um, and he reached out.
0: Still when you were focused on graphic designers primarily.
1: Yeah. Yep. That's right. And he reached out and he offered a monthly sponsorship, um, to promote his design bundles. So they have like, you know, fonts and textures and graphics and whatever, and they bundle it for like 95 plus percent off. Um, and then they run it for a couple weeks and, and he reached out to, to send, you know, dedicated newsletters and put banners on our site and sort of do a site-wide sponsorship. And it was working with him that opened my eyes to the possibilities of, of, you know, leveraging this audience we had built, um, and sort of starting to work more like a media company where it's our job to produce quality content and build an audience and engage with that audience. And then we go out and we find like-minded companies who also want to serve at the time designers or now, you know, freelancers of all kinds, um, who want to serve them with a quality product. And then we pair them up through a sponsorship with us. And so he was the first one. Um, and, and, and Tom and I had a still have a great working relationship, um, he was a sponsor on the site for over three years, maybe over four years. I mean, uh oh. he he really he really laid the foundation and, and gave us the support we needed to, you know, hire a part-time team to grow our content, to grow our our processes for for becoming sort of this mini media company. So I owe a lot to Tom for that.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think this is also probably a good example um, of when you topple the first domino, when you get your first sponsor, your first, you know, paid customer, whatever you want to call it, um, the rest start to come much easier because you can look back and say, hey, you know, we've worked with so-and-so and they got this kind of ROI. Was that sort of the case for you too?
1: Absolutely. That, that was 100% the case. And it's still the case. You know, we, um, we, we do sponsorships on our podcasts, for example. We have a couple podcasts, like the one, obviously, that you mentioned earlier, that you co-host um, with the three of us, and on our on our podcast sort of media kit, we have a quote right up front from FreshBooks that says, in, "In an email they sent us, it said the numbers looked great from day one." And so, I mean, that's what an advertiser wants to hear. That's what a sponsor wants to hear is, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't as much of a gamble as as maybe another show or another brand or another opportunity, like you're going to reach the people you want to reach and you're going to get the return that you want out of it.
0: I love that. So Preston moving on a little bit now, um, you know, you guys have grown a lot Your your toolkit um, as far as product offerings to advertisers has grown a lot too, right? Like the podcast, the blog, um, as your community grows, you get more options and opportunities. So you know, now what would you say is the revenue distribution? Like where, where does most of your income come from on the site? Is it all sponsorship dollars or are there other sources? Yeah, that's
1: a really great question. So, um, I'd say up until, up until I lost my job and, and took Milo full time, um, probably 85 to 90% of the revenue was sponsorship revenue. Um, but that was mostly because it was sort of the least labor intensive form of revenue. Mm. When you're work, when you're, when you're doing a side business, I mean, you know, this Ryan and many of your listeners, I'm sure um, you, you have very, very limited time. And so a sponsorship model worked well because I could, I could hire a a part-time person to manage the actual, actual execution of the sponsorship. Meanwhile, I was spending minimal time sort of reaching out to new sponsors or, just interacting, you know, emailing back and forth with sponsors and that sort of thing, and um, and so and I didn't have much time for anything beyond that. Like I, I, didn't have time to develop products and get customer feedback and minimum viable, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now that uh, I've taken it full time, the doors are just like wide open. You know, we're in talks with someone about a, a live event. We're working with someone on physical products. We have we've launched our first. Subscription-based product, which is um, which is like a gig list for freelancers, where we comb the web, and every week we send the very best freelance gigs to our our um, our exclusive list of members. And so so now there's you know opportunity headed our way, and I think it'll diversify a lot more because I recognize it's a dangerous place to be in when you're doing this full time to have eighty percent of your revenue coming from one source.
0: Yeah, I agree, and and any source that is yeah, doesn't matter right. what it is, that's no right. matter how secure it feels.
1: That's right. Yeah. I mean, I know plenty of people who, you know, only do ad revenue and it's like, well, what's going to happen or or what's already happening when ad revenue just doesn't work anymore. doesn't work as well as it used to. Or when you can't sell eBooks anymore because courses are the hot new thing. If you're all invested in eBooks now, you got to make courses like you. And, Mm -hmm. but I think it's true of anything. Like you have to keep pivoting as, as your audience needs and wants different things. You have to keep adjusting to their wants and needs for sure.
0: One hundred percent, so you know Preston, something else that I, I really admire about what you 've done with your business how you 've structured it, and and the way you 've grown it on the side is is you 've hired a team of people who basically run just about everything behind the scenes for you and and this was you know talking about before you jumped into a full time so maybe things have changed a little bit now that you 're working full time in the business but You know, you had someone who was helping out with doing all sponsorship outreach. I know you have an editor who was handling the majority of, you know, getting content from contributors, getting everything lined up, um, coordinating with sponsors. And, you know, one thing we talked about on the SideGake show was what your daily routine was. And it was seriously so impressive to me that I would love for you to sort of just walk through what that routine looked like for our listeners.
1: Yeah, so like you said, it's changed a little bit, but but let me speak first to what it was, what, what I did in order to scale the business while it was a side business, um, and I and I use the term scale like very loosely. <laughs> uh, it wasn't growing in leaps and bounds, but it but it was growing bit by bit every month. as a As a side business, um, I ran milo mostly on my train commute, which you can hear about in like you said in our other show. I'm sure we can link up that episode in the show notes, but. On my train commute, it was about forty minutes in and forty minutes back. So every day, I had about an hour and twenty minutes um, where I could just work on my business. I didn't have work obligations, I didn't have family obligations. I was just stuck on the train, and um, and so I, I started, you know, bit by bit, building sort of this little uh, media company. and And my methodology, even to this day, is still to do. Every job first myself so that I know what it entails and, mm-hmm. and figure out, you know, what are the pitfalls, what goes well, what doesn't go well, what am I miss what am I what what did I think would be easy that's hard and vice versa. And then once I figure that all out, I do my best to find someone talented who I can pass that off to. And like you said, the the MILO team at all times has always just been over the top amazing they do amazing work a lot of the work or a lot of the the stuff that you see coming out of Milo is not due to me it's due to our incredible community and our very very talented team um but but that's always been the process is like you know i'll i'll manage the blog for example is a great place to start and then when i Feel like I'm not great at that anymore, or I don't have bandwidth for that anymore because I need to move on to bigger, more strategic things. Then I hire someone to manage the blog, and so now we have a couple content managers who work with our contributors to get to publish the, the blog regularly. Um, and then, you know, it was next. It was like working with sponsors, and I would manage the whole process with sponsors. I would. I would reach out to them. I'd communicate with them. I'd close the deal. I'd set up their sponsorship. I'd make sure it ran. I'd follow up with them. I'd make sure the metrics worked out on their side. I'd ask them if they want to renew. Now I passed off part of that to someone who is in charge of sponsor success. It's their job to make sure our sponsors are happy and that their campaigns are running as they should be. Um, so every little piece, you know, this 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 uh, gig list that I was talking about, um, I ran for the first few weeks, and then I found someone who was talented and. Now they run that every week and I'm moving on to the next thing. And so that's sort of my method is like figure something out, then outsource it, hire a, hire a team member um, who's talented, who I trust, who can run that sort of thing. And, and it really cuts down to the amount of time I have to spend personally on the nitty gritty details of the business.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. So, you know, maybe looking at the gig list in particular, since it's recent, it's top of mind, um, did you have to get that to a point where it was already paying for itself or, or maybe paying for the person that you hire? Or are you comfortable just spinning up a new project and, you know, outsourcing it, hiring someone to management and, uh, you know, maybe take a loss in the short term with, with a longer term outlook on how it can grow without you know, you being stuck in the middle and being the bottleneck? That's a really great question.
1: Uh, you know, we talked earlier in the show about fear and uh, that I'm obviously a bit more conservative in that way. Um, I have taken a loss on things before in hopes that they pan out and sometimes they've worked out and sometimes they haven't. Um, in this particular instance with uh, Solid Gigs is the, is the name of the, of the list at solidgigs.com and I wanted to make sure that it was cash flow positive before I hired someone to manage it. So, um, so you know, but, but it didn't take us very long to get cash flow positive on that project necessarily. Uh, going clear back to the story with Tom, because of the, the sponsorships that Tom gave us early on from Design Cuts, it, it allowed me to feel comfortable hiring our first content manager, whose name was April. And, and April took the blog from good to, to really great and worked with a bunch of contributors um, to really make the blog what it is today, and and the only reason I felt comfortable hiring her was because I knew we had this steady income coming from a sponsorship mm-hmm. with Design Cuts. So I guess to answer your question, I'm more on the side of making sure the money is there first. I think it is good to invest every once in a while if, if you have a clear path to revenue, but other than that, I would um, I would I lean on the side of caution for sure.
0: I like that. I think that's a smart way to think about it too. That's that's how I feel as well, and. You know, maybe the, the more experience you have with spinning up new projects, building communities, um, you know, getting sponsors, you have more confidence too, right? Like, you know, with something like Solid Gigs, your, you know, your gigs list project right now, I bet you could have dove into that and had confidence that you were going to have no trouble getting sponsors. Yeah, I think so.
1: I think it's all about, it's all about weighing risk. I think it can be really easy if you follow a lot of Podcasts or blogs about startup culture, I think it could be really easy to cu- get caught up in like this spending mentality because that's what startups do. Because first they got and they raise, you know, $2 million. And then they have all this money to burn before they have to actually make any money back. And that's fine for startup culture. But when you're running a side hustle or or even a small business, a small solo business or a really small team, there's there's cash flow issues. Like you have to be making money if you're going to pay the people that you hire. And it's been sad. I've had to, I've had to let people go you know they weren't full-time employees they weren't getting health benefits or anything like that but they were making a, a decent amount of money every month as a contractor i've had to let them go because i didn't have the foresight to see that like oh we can't handle a team of 6 or 7 people necessarily on the cash flow that we have and so yeah i think you just have to i think you have to balance it with what you know about what's coming in your business
0: mhm so Preston, you know, what would your biggest piece of advice be to someone listening today who wants to get started with a blog, maybe a podcast, um, but what they have in mind is primarily earning money from paid sponsorships. What, what should be their number one focus today? I think
1: if your goal is to make money primarily through sponsorships, you have to understand that it takes, it can take a little while to get there. Um, sp- the sponsorship model works when you have a large audience and large is relative obviously, but to make a decent amount of money from sponsorships, you have to have not only a large enough audience, but you have to have a large enough offering. You know, if you have, you there's, there's sort of a, a breaking point. You can't have 10 sponsors sending to a list of 500 people and expect for those sponsors to get any sort of ROI out of their investment and that 's the secret to, to to successful sponsorship business models is focusing on making sure your sponsor is getting the return back out of their investment and that 's what makes them come back obviously as a sponsor and so I would say it 's kind of like advertising you have to you have to understand that it can take a while now I think there are unicorns in the in the situation like like the chasing foxes team you know somehow in a few months they got a million page views and they were able to get tons of ad revenue. And I'm sure if they, if they, you know, in the episode it mentioned they were, they were moving to sponsorships eventually, I'm sure they're going to be able to land some great sponsorships. So I know people have done it quickly, but I would say for the average blogger, especially if you're not very familiar with it or depending on how much time you have to dedicate to it every day or week, um, it can take a while for that business model to pan out.
0: I love that. I think that's sound advice. Um, you know, it's easy to sort of sensationalize these stories like the Chasing Foxes example um, without really, you know, fully understanding like, okay, you know, maybe Grace was spending 18 hours a day or something on nothing <laughs> yeah. but writing and promotion. And that stuff doesn't necessarily always make its way out. And it's not yeah. realistic for everyone.
1: Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like their story was incredible. I I learned a ton from it and I plan to implement a lot of the stuff that I learned from that episode. But yeah, I think everyone's situation is different. And especially since this is a show about side hustling, like a lot of people have maybe an hour or two a day and I'm, and I'm Mm -hmm. not necessarily preaching that like a sponsorship or advertising model is the best thing, the quickest route to revenue. Like if your goal is to make enough money that you can quit next summer Uh, I don't know if this is necessarily the business model for you. I think there are quicker ways to get some cash in the door so that you can do what you want to do in terms of a career.
0: I love that. I would agree. So Preston, shifting gears a little bit again here, um, something else that you've been particularly great at is content marketing. Um, creating long form blog content f- um, for your site, promoting it gets getting sponsors even um, to sponsor some of it. so I know that now you have you know your team of contributors, writers, and editor, um, but were there ever any big moments with blog posts that you think went particularly viral or you know taught you what was going to be most effective as far as content marketing goes? I think the big turning point for
1: me was. We, we, I say we, it was me at the time. I, uh, I was blogging what felt like ad nauseum. I mean, when you're, when you're just an individual solo blogger and you're trying to publish three to five times a week, um, it doesn't sound like that much, but it's a lot for one person, especially if it's a side hustle. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I was publishing, I was trying to publish three to five times a week. And, um, the turning point for me came when I, Realized that you know of the of the five times a week or the three times a week that I published, maybe two of them were about freelancing, and the rest were about you know logos and inspiration and sort of more design-oriented stuff. Um, and every time I published about like small business or freelancing or clients or revenue or margin or or whatever invoicing, like any anything related to sort of freelancing and clients and business, those articles not only did I enjoy them more, but those articles took off. Um, Compared to the others. And so that's why that's why I ultimately decided that graphic design blender at the time would be uh, a blog about freelancing is because I enjoyed writing that kind of content. And my readers obviously enjoyed that kind of content more. And so that was a a pivotal moment for me to say, like, okay, if I I want things to be shared, if I want things to be engaged with, this is the kind of content we need to be publishing. and, And we still follow that today.
0: I like that yeah you've always been really good at community building um, mm, thank so you. Preston now on Milo, how many visitors do you guys get per month as like an average ballpark figure?
1: ballpark would be about one hundred and fifty thousand a month, um, which you know isn't enormous there are the, definitely our site traffic is our lowest contributor to our uh, sponsorship model. We make a lot more money through our email list, which is about 43,000 right now. Um, We make, you know, we have lots of different opportunities for like premium content. You know, we have guides and we have a a mastermind group on Facebook that has like 4,000 people in it. And so uh, we get, we get about 150,000, but, but again, like that's, that's not a huge amount of traffic. When an advertiser comes knocking, they're looking for sites that are getting, you know, 300, 500,000, a million, a couple million a month, to really sink their teeth into in terms of an advertising model.
0: Right. But I do think, yeah, you're, you're definitely onto something there with like the power of the email list because that commands so much more attention um, from your existing audience than say, just dropping out a new blog post that maybe, you know, 1% of people would see.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think our email list and our mastermind group are probably our two most important assets in terms of building the community. Um, It's the easiest way to to get a hold of, you know, everybody has email. It's the easiest way to get a hold of our audience if there's something important we want to say. Um, if, if anything stands a chance of going quote-unquote viral, like it has to be shared through our email list. So yeah, absolutely.
0: I love that. Okay, Preston, well, I want to transition over to a few of my frequently asked questions, which um, I designed to be intentionally short on my end. Your answers do not need to be equally as so. Great. How much revenue are you generating per month for Millo? If you feel comfortable sharing that figure.
1: Sure. I feel comfortable sharing. Um, I'd say it's anywhere between, you know, it's such a range. It depends on the time of year because we are a sponsorship model. So it depends on what promotion sponsors are running, but I'd say anywhere between eight and 15,000 a month. Top line.
0: Awesome. So what would be, you know, some of the examples of sacrifices that you've had to make over the years in order to put enough time and effort into your business?
1: Um, You know, there are lots of sacrifices you make, especially when you're doing a side hustle. Um, And I'm not, I'm not proud of all of them necessarily. I remember one time I was in Seattle, Washington, and they have this uh, sort of iconic space needle and a bunch of my friends, I was there with a bunch of college friends, or I should say fellow students on this internship expedition thing where we were visiting a bunch of companies. And anyway, at nighttime, they all went to see the Space Needle. And uh, I had never been to Seattle and, uh, and I should have gone to see the Space Needle. But I stayed in our hotel room and I was, I blogged about <laughs> a bunch of stuff, published a <laughs> bunch of blog posts. But but for me, that's kind of an iconic experience of of, or a quintessential experience of like the sacrifices that I've chosen to make, um, to build my side business, you know, there's, I've given up hobbies and, um, this kind of was my hobby forever. Uh, it was the thing I did when I had some downtime after the kids were in bed or if I woke up early or or on the weekend or whatever. So, you know, there are sacrifices that you make, um, in terms of social life or in terms of hobbies or in terms of just other things you might want to be doing, but I, I don't regret it for one second. I mean, I had one heck of a safety net to fall into when I lost my job and it's something that people have been envious of a little bit. And I just say, look, you know, when 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 you were doing that, I was I was in my hotel room blogging about who knows what <laughs> while you were out seeing the space needle. So again, I don't know if I necessarily recommend that, but but those are definitely the sacrifice the kinds of sacrifices that I've made.
0: I love that one. Um, Have you ever had any particular, you know, projects, experiments, tests that you've, you know, tried out within one of your businesses that have ended up being a failure?
1: Absolutely. A few years ago, um, I was enamored, as many people were, with the idea of a membership site, Uh, you know this elusive, this like this magical idea where people would pay me money every month and I didn't have to do anything. And, um, it's not exactly how I thought about it, but I, but it was pretty close. Anyway, clearly I was wrong. Uh, here's what went wrong with the membership site. Uh, I, I got people to sign up that didn't go wrong. That went well. I got plenty of people to sign up for our beta test. I ended up Um, I think we were getting like $2,000 a month recurring revenue, which for a side hustle at the time, you know, it was, you know, this was three or four years ago. It was good for our beta. Like that was just our beta group. But what I realized was I didn't, I didn't plan ahead of time enough. I didn't have the infrastructure enough to support a premium community like that. And, you know, I don't blame anyone but myself for that. Like if customers are paying, I don't remember 15 or $20 a month to be in a community, they want. They want fifteen to twenty dollars worth of content and support and community interaction, and um, and I just didn't have the infrastructure or the foresight to to plan for that. It was a it was a team of me and one other person running Millow at the time, graphic design Blender at the time, and uh, and we just didn't have the the infrastructure to do it. And so I ended up closing it. Um, you know, not that many people got mad. People were patient, which was good. But I ended up closing it because I just I didn't want to let them down. They were some of our best members, the best members of our community, some of our best readers. And um, I didn't want to like let them down with this product that we had done. And I just knew that I didn't have the bandwidth or the infrastructure at the time to do it. And maybe one day we'll, we'll re-look we'll re- into it or whatever. But um, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was technically a failure. We close it down and, and it's gone. So
0: I think that's a good example though of throwing in the towel on something that's not working before damaging relationships, which is a good takeaway.
1: Yeah. I've always been a long, long-term guy, um, uh, you know, trying to play the long game. And I, I just really respect anytime someone's willing to like, not only invest time to read your stuff or listen to your stuff, but also like to actually pay you money. That's a big deal. You know, $20 a month is, is not a huge amount of money, but like, it's, it's a significant amount of money in terms of, you know, you can be spending it on something else, um, for your family or for you personally or for your business. And so, yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to damage the relationship that we and the goodwill that we already had with people by putting out a product that was subpar and and didn't deliver on what we had promised. And we, you know, we've learned from that. We now have, again, that subscription gig list and, and we pay all sorts of attention to those people. And we're always asking them what could be better and what do you like, what don't you like. And I'm very close with a lot of those people personally, meaning I, I've had very personal email conversations with a lot of those people about their businesses. And so we've learned from it for sure. Uh, but, but it was a big failure at the time in my mind. I really wanted that to be sort of the pillar of my business at the time, but I just, I, I did it wrong.
0: Well, I think it all goes back to experimentation, right? As being a good yeah, thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Preston, this is going to be my last question for you. What what would you say has been the best investment you've ever made in the context of growing your business? So, this could be in the form of you know education, time, money, tools, products, services, or otherwise. Yeah, I think the best
1: investment I've made is in the people that work on our team. Uh, I couldn't do what we do at Milo without, like I said, an amazing community but that amazing community comes because of incredible content. Um, and the content comes because we have an amazing team behind the Milo the entire Milo brand. Um, I just, I, I just, I know I wouldn't be able to do it on my own. And the amount of money that I would save every month, if I was trying to do it on my own would, would not be worth, I mean, I guess it's just worth infinitely more to me to have an incredible team working with me to to build this thing that I care so much about. So best investment I've ever made is definitely the team.
0: I love that. All right, well, Preston, thank you for joining us. Can you tell everyone listening today where they can go to learn more about you, Milo, and everything you guys are up to?
1: Absolutely. You can go to milo.co. It's M-I-L-L-O oco C-O. There you can find, you know, everything. Our blog, our podcasts, our free guides, our free mastermind group on Facebook. Um, if you want to go right to the mastermind, which is definitely one of our most valuable um, resources, it's where, like I said, over 4,000 freelancers and solopreneurs get together. They ask questions about how to start, grow, build, scale their businesses. Um, you can, you can check that out directly at millo.co slash mastermind. Um, and yeah, the rest of it there at millo.co there's uh, our email newsletter, obviously you can sign up for, we'll send you some freebies there. Um, and, and yeah, there's uh, feel free to connect with us on social media. We'd love to just hear what you're doing in your business and, and whether you're a side business or a freelancer or anything like that. We'd love to hear what you're working on and, and see if we can help you in some way.
0: Beautiful. And we'll include the links to all of these and also solidgigs.com in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. So Preston, thank you again for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, Ryan. It's been a pleasure.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.